In the event of or on the outside chance that you have been living a Rip Van Winkle kind of existence, the Christmas season is here. And when Andy Williams sings about it, he calls it the most wonderful time of the year. And I must confess that I have to agree with him. If you know anything about me at all, you know that I absolutely love Christmas. That I'm worse than any six-year-old you ever saw when it comes Christmas time. Every morning I turn on my music and I have to start my day listening to Bing Crosby sing White Christmas. And you can laugh because my whole family laughs at me, but I just can't get enough of listening to Doris Day's Christmas albums. But for some people, rather than this being the most wonderful time of the year, often it becomes the most stressful time of the year. And there are a lot of things that cause stress in the Christmas season. Things like shopping for gifts, having enough money to pay for them, and then getting them wrapped after you've bought them. Or you go in to look at the Christmas tree and you realize there are more pine needles on the floor than there are on the tree. Or forgetting someone that you should have bought a gift for. Missing loved ones that have passed away. Or the Christmas, Christmas day comes and you realize that along with the turkey and the ham, the credit card smoked too. Or some of your family members find where you hid their presents. But I suppose two of the most stressful things that can occur at the Christmas season are you pull an all-nighter because of those dreaded words, some assembly required. And then you realize on Christmas Day you should have heeded the three most overlooked words at Christmas. Battery is not included. But whether we like it or not, whether we're prepared for it or not, the Christmas season has started. And during the next few weeks, a very large part of the civilized world will be celebrating Christmas. To some folks, it's a time to celebrate the birth of Christ. To some folks, it's just a happy, generous holiday. A time for family reunions, a time for giving gifts. And for them, it won't be a celebration of the birth of Jesus. And that's okay. Because the Bible doesn't actually tell us when Christ was born. And the Bible doesn't actually tell us to, to celebrate His birth. Because you see, the birth of Jesus really doesn't mark the beginning of His existence. Jesus was with God from the very beginning. His birth only marks His advent into the world. And what Jesus really told us to celebrate was His death, which we did just a few moments ago. Before He went to the cross, He told His disciples, He told His apostles, He said, do this in remembrance of Me. He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you'll show forth My death until I come again. But 
This being the Christmas season, this being the time that the world at large celebrates His birth, one day in the long ago, a day that's actually unmarked, a bright star shone over the city of Bethlehem. And that bright star shone over the city of Bethlehem the day that Christ was born. I don't think it's amiss to take advantage of all the advertising of the season of the year. To take advantage of the fact that the world at large focuses on the birth of Jesus Christ and calls attention to the fact that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you recall, that's actually the way John begins his gospel story. He said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's when Jesus Christ came into this world. And Jesus had a great influence on this world. I think it's a wonderful thing that for at least a few weeks a year, the world focuses. The world turns its attention to Jesus Christ. Because on that day, as that star was shining brightly over the city of Bethlehem, there were wise men who came from the east. And those wise men who came from the east came to bring their gifts to this newborn baby. They brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They came there to inquire about Him who was born the King of the Jews. And you know what they said? They said, we have seen His star. And folks, after 2,000 years plus, that star is still shining as brightly today as it did that night when Jesus was born. And the wise men and the wise women of our world today are ready to acknowledge that they have seen it. And if the wise men and the wise women of our world are ready to acknowledge they've seen Jesus' star, what does that say about those who won't acknowledge it? The very converse. That rather than being wise, they're foolish and unwise. Throughout the ages, there have been a lot of great men who have stood upon the stage of action in this world. Men and women who have accomplished great things. Men and women who have been granted prestigious awards. But sooner or later, no matter how great they are, no matter how powerful they are, no matter how prestigious their awards, the summons comes for death. Because the Hebrew writer tells us it's appointed to man once to die. And when that appointment comes, it's an appointment they have to keep. And after that, their glory gradually fades and finally dies after them.
And these great men and great women, with all of their prestigious awards, their names are engraved upon the pages of history. But generally speaking, their influence is interred with their bones. But that's not the way it was with Jesus. He came into this world over 2,000 years ago. And you know what? The world has never been able to forget that He lived. He was born in Bethlehem and was speared away into Egypt and He was reared in a despised little town called Nazareth. And yet Jesus indelibly impressed Himself upon this world. He impressed Himself so much that hundreds of years after His death, His popularity is still without equal. And yet, even with all that popularity, I'm afraid that much of the honor that Jesus gets today on the lips of men. Much of the acclaim that Jesus gets today from the lips of men is hypocritical. Because our world has become a highly commercialized world. Our world has become a world where people easily talk about Jesus Christ. But while it's so easy to say, well, I'm going to give God the glory. And I'm going to praise Jesus. It seems so hard then to live His kind of life. Let's be honest. Jesus has never really been wanted. One of the saddest, most pathetic statements you'll ever find in the Bible is when Jesus was born. And that's when Joseph and Mary came and they found no room in the inn. Now, I like to think that when Joseph came out of the, all of those different inns and said, there's just no room for us, that Mary said, I understand. You know, if that happened today, she'd be saying, well, Joseph... Why didn't you get on your phone and make us a reservation? Well, Joseph couldn't get on his phone and make a reservation. So they got to Bethlehem and they got there and there's no room in the inn. And so since there was no room, they were quartered in a stable. And it wasn't a nice little barn like we picture sometimes. The stables where the livestock were kept were generally caves cut out in the hillside and that's where Jesus was born and they were quartered in the stable and Jesus was born there amongst the livestock and laid in a manger where the stock were fed he wasn't wanted then and Jesus has never really been wanted by the world at large it was not just Bethlehem that had no room for him. Soon after he was born, he was carried out of the country because of the hostility to him, especially that of Herod, because Herod the Great 
saw Jesus as a threat to his throne and he wanted to have, have him murdered. So there was no room for Jesus in Judea. And then when he went to Nazareth, there was really no room for him in his hometown of Nazareth. His former neighbors, they wanted to make him a king. And he didn't want to be made a king. And so what they would have done if they could have, they actually wanted to throw him off of a cliff in their anger. Because he wouldn't be their king. There were the scribes and the Pharisees. They constantly followed him. They had no place for Jesus in their hearts. They were always trying to some, find some flaw in his doctrine. They were trying to find some fault in his life. Something they could point to that made him less than the Son of God. Something they could accuse him of. There was not even any place for him in the hearts of his own countrymen. When it got right down to it. False witnesses from among his own people. Swore lies about him. And they cried let his blood be on us. And our children. They said crucify him. And when they said crucify him. There was no one there. No one. To plead for him. A lonely friend came and begged for his body. When Jesus came, there was no room in the world for him. And you know what? Conditions largely have not changed. Though the name of Jesus is on practically every tongue, there's really precious little room for Jesus. Human nature and people have really not changed that much in 2,000 years. Did you ever stop to think about the countless homes in Judea and Samaria? Think about how many homes there were in Judea and Samaria in that first century. And how few of those homes Jesus ever actually went into. We read of an occasion where he was there in the home of Peter. Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever and Jesus healed her. There was a guest chamber prepared for the Last Supper. He entered that home. There was a Pharisee named Simon that had a dinner in his honor trying to trap him and Jesus was there. There was the little home in Bethany of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. I, I like to think Jesus was a guest in that home quite often. I like to think that the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus there in Bethany. That was one of those homes where Jesus knew where the spare key was hidden. And he would go there for rest and relaxation. Those weren't the only homes in the land probably that he entered. But as far as the record goes in the New Testament, those were the homes that had room for Jesus. Today, in our land, a land of millions of homes. In how many of those homes is there actually no room for Jesus Christ? 
In how many of those homes there is room for entertainment? There's room for business. There's room for pleasure. There's room for the family niceties. There's room for guests, personal guests in that home. But in that home, there's no real place for Jesus Christ. I wonder, with all of the hoopla about Jesus, has our world somehow missed the heart and the soul of Christianity? With all of our celebrations, is there really that much room for Jesus in the hearts of men and women? Is there any room for Jesus in the minds and homes of men and women in our world today? How many homes... How many homes are there where religion and Jesus Christ are never discussed? How many homes are there where the Bible remains an unknown book? It's like little Johnny one time walked into his mother and he was carrying the family Bible just covered with dust that was caked on it. He said, Mama, is it true that this is God's book? And she said, Well, yes, Johnny, that's God's book. He said, Well, do you think we ought to give it back to Him because we never use it? How many homes are there where the Bible is a closed book? It's, it's an ornament, it's a decoration, but it just sits there. How many homes are there where Jesus Christ is often an unwanted intruder more than an invited guest. One of the greatest things plaguing our world today. One of the greatest tragedies of our nation is that too many homes in our country have no place in them for Jesus Christ. There's no place for the Bible. There's no place for religion. And the very fabric of our society as a nation is disintegrating before our very eyes. Because, beloved, there is no room for Jesus. In America of the 21st century, Children are being brought up in an environment and an atmosphere where God is not honored. And there are those in our world today, people who are leaders, whether it's in schools or in government, who attempt to honor God and suffer persecution because of it. How? How in the name of Israel's God can we expect a better generation of men and women 
without the influence of God and without that star over Bethlehem to guide them. From the time that sin was introduced into this world, there have been two great influences at work on us. You've got truth and you've got error. You've got right and you've got wrong. You've got light and you've got darkness. And our world cannot escape the influence of both of these powers. And if the influence of darkness is greater than the influence of light, then the world is destined to come apart at the seams and perish in disgrace. Those wise men said, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? We've seen his star and we've come to worship him. I want you to picture the scene. I want you by an eye of faith to see what might have greeted those wise men. They see that star. And they're traveling toward that star. I want you to see the numbing darkness of that desert. The blackness of the night. And the radiance of that one single star in the east. And the brightness of that star lured them from their land to seek the newborn King. The world that Jesus Christ came into, it was a world of spiritual darkness. A darkness as black as the greatest physical darkness that ever settled on the earth. All had sinned. And come short of the glory of God. There was none righteous. No, not one. Every sheep had gone astray. The hope of eternal glory did not exist in a single heart. Nothing but despair faced all the men and women traveling on their way to eternity. And it was into that darkness into that world of sin that God sent His only begotten Son a star in the blackness of midnight. A star to give hope and guidance to men and women lost in the darkness of sin. And Jesus came. And the blind began to see. The deaf began to hear. The lame began to walk. And hope was given to the dying and the dead. Write this down. It's on the final exam. There is no other hope than Jesus Christ. There is no other light than Jesus Christ. There is no other way but the way of Jesus Christ. To this very day, Jesus Christ still shines as the star of the world. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved. That's not what I have to say. That's what's on the pages of this book. The things that Jesus Christ taught are the only adequate answers to the needs of my soul and yours. Our needs for time and our needs for eternity. The message of Jesus Christ it gave strength to the weak. It gave inspiration to the weary. And it gave comfort to the mourner. And it gave joy 
to everyone. Because Jesus came into the world. The saints of God have been singing ever since. The angels have rejoiced. And life and light and immortality were brought to light through the gospel. After all these years, Jesus Christ is still the shining hope. But He's only the shining hope if He's Lord and Master of your life. Are you ready for this? If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master at all in your life. I don't know what's going on in your world. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what changes might need to be made. But if you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord of your life, whether it's in simple trusting faith, repenting of sin, confessing His name, and being baptized for the forgiveness of those sins, and make Him the Lord and Master for the very first time, or maybe you've done that and haven't lived His kind of life, and He hasn't been Lord of your life. I don't know what your needs might be, but... If we can help you make Jesus Lord of your life, this is your opportunity to come and let us do that as we stand together while we sing.